Hi, I'm Joel McLeod. I'm Roland Tanner. This is the 905er. I'd like for you to take a moment and think about how this COVID-19 pandemic has reshaped our lives. Think of all the new rules governing how we go about our daily business, how we are not allowed to socialize in person with more than 10 predetermined people anymore, except if we're indoors in a restaurant or casino, in which case we can share the space with up to 50 people. We can gather in groups of 50 outdoors, however, only we can't play in public sports leagues anymore, really. Well, we'll get back to you on that one. Oh, and let's not forget if you're a parent with a child in the public school system. All that social bubble nonsense goes out the window because your social circle is basically your child's 24 other classmates and teachers' families. Did all that give you a headache? Are you as confused as we are? It seems as we navigate this second wave of COVID-19 in Ontario, the rules and guidelines on how to live with this disease are more confusing than ever. And that confusion is leading to trouble. Here in the 905, Peel and York Region are now back into Stage 2, and the Premier is warning Halton Region of a similar fate. We wanted to try and make sense of how the communication surrounding COVID-19 has become so convoluted. If you spend any time online searching social media for guidance or advice on COVID-19, you may have come across Mike Gibbs. Mike is a former communications staffer with Public Health Ontario, having worked through the SARS pandemic and worked in many public health offices throughout the country. He has been highly critical of the current Ford government's handling of the COVID-19 communication strategy. We invited him onto the podcast today to share his expertise and opinion on how we got where we are today and what is needed to get us through this pandemic. Have a listen. I'd like to thank Mike Gibbs for coming on the, the 905er today. Mike, if you could just give us a bit of a background in terms of your career and, and your expertise just for our listeners at home. Uh, yeah, well, I, I started out um, in politics, actually. I was working for, um, federally, uh, I was working for a Liberal MP, Tony Blair, and then um, I moved uh, to Queen's Park. I was actually a PC for in my youth, um, and Tony was kind of on kind of more conservative, so that's how I ended up with Tony, which was a huge mistake. But anyway, um, so I, I ended up, I went to, uh, I went to Queen's Park because I worked, I knew Janet Ecker and uh, I campaigned for her for many years. Um, and that was, uh, that was during SARS. We had first, we had SARS, we had the blackout after that. And my dad, um, my dad was uh, Ministry of Health at the time. Um, so he was assisting Dr. Brasseur and, and, and that whole effort and his friends. And um, I know the um, Ministry of Health comms team really well. Um, they're basically aunts and uncles to me because we've known them for decades. And uh, so I know a lot about, I know a lot about what happened then. Um, and I knew about it from the political side as well, uh, working for Janet Ecker. Um, after that, uh, I, worked, I worked at City Hall um, for Bill Sondercook. I was city councilor at High Park. Um, and that's when I kind of moved more progressive <laughs> and and kind of uh, shed my conservativeness. Um, and uh, learned a lot about learned a lot about uh, public health there and and the importance of of, uh, of of the public health the public health unit. Um, then after that, it was really at EPCOR. I moved to uh, moved to Alberta with my boyfriend. We went to um, I worked for EPCOR, and that's when I really started getting involved in, in public health initiatives uh, with water, because um, of course the uh, utility, utility there that does water and power. So um, I worked with um, uh, the head scientist there, Les Gammy, who uh, and learned a lot about. Um, uh, infectious diseases from from the water system. So that so that's how I kind of got involved with pandemic planning, because um, a big focus, big focus, big big focus of ours was pandemic planning with the city of Edmonton. Mm -hmm. um, so we were planning every year and going running through all the different scenarios, and that's uh, that's uh, 
to this day, those lessons that I learned at the city of Edmonton, like apply today, they were, they were, they had some, they were, it was rigorous training. I mean, they just threw us into the exact scenarios that we're facing today. <laughs> they, I mean, they had it, they had it all lined up. And so, yeah. On that note, um, I mean, we're all, t- everyone is talking today about, you know, vaccine, 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 and, and whenever that will come about, but what seems to be on everyone's mind is kind of like a, how, what's the plan for, for dealing with this? And, and on that note, a lot of that has to do with communications, keeping a flow of the information from the top, the scientists who are learning about this disease, how it spreads, how it affects the body, et cetera, et cetera, and then conveying that information so that we're educated in terms of protecting ourselves and each other. So, I mean, communications is a huge part of a pandemic plan by the government. It, it's it's huge. Yeah. It probably matters the most. Yeah. Right. And so I mean, on that note, I'm just going to kind of step into it. Like right now, it seems that we have multiple instructions, uh, which I think tend to contradict each other. Uh, as an example, I mean, we have rules for how restaurants are supposed to operate with up to 50 people permitted inside at any given time. Uh, however, we're told only to socialize within a bubble of 10 people. And at that same time, our schools are operating with classrooms uh, with upwards of 25 people, including the teacher, in them. Which is insane. Yeah. How are people supposed to make sense of all these contradictory uh, instructions as we go about our daily lives? They can't. They just can't. And I, I can't. Like I, I can't keep. I can't keep track of all these different formulas. You know. Uh, and I mean, it's changing every day. We're hearing the same. We're hearing different things from different people, different officials. Uh, and then you know, a lot of us are watching the American situation too, and they're they're saying different things. Um, so it's. It's it's an information overload, and when you get different messages, it's, it's deeply confusing. It gets very very frustrating, and so I I do not I, I completely understand the public uh, making mistakes and, and not being entirely sure, and, that, and that's why it really upsets me to hear um, politicians, not just the Ford government, but any politician, go up there and start berating the public because wait a minute, guys, like. <laughs> You've been sending them twelve different messages. You can't you can't sit there and, and say that it's your fault. You know, um, you've got to communicate a clear message, and you've got to set controls. You've got to predict human behavior. There's you need leadership, and so that's what we've been missing. So I, you know, I I, I don't blame I don't blame people for their infections. You know, and we've got to stop doing that. It's- I was just saying to Joe earlier today. I think he and I were among people over Thanksgiving who were being very careful and basically not seeing family at all. Right. And then other friends and acquaintances were doing completely different things, but they were being responsible within what they felt was acceptable. Yeah. But they were seeing extended immediate families, yeah. so sisters, brothers from other towns, things like that. But I don't think they thought, hey, we're breaking the rules, but we think it'll be okay. I think they felt that that was what the rules were. And really, it was a last-minute decision in my family to kind of call it off. And it wasn't because of anything to do with the government. It was because there was an article in the Star where a couple of doctors were interviewed. And they said, if someone doesn't live under your house, you shouldn't be seeing them. I said, okay, I can understand that. That's something I can grasp. I don't think I'm that stupid that that I can't understand complicated ideas. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. That's what we need. This is what you should be doing. Yeah. End of conversation. That's a perfect example. It's not, it's not, people aren't, don't mean to, to cause infections and to break rules. You know, they, they don't mean to at all. They think that they're following the rules half the time. Right. And, and that's, that's a breakdown in communication. So yeah, we can't blame people. Every public health official in the country from Dr. Tam to Dr. Williams, and even like your local public health official and your local board uh, is basically, we've all come to the consensus. The second wave is here. We're 
in it. And I'll be honest, I think right now the 905 region is seems to be particularly hit hard in Ontario uh, with the second wave. And I know you've been following this on, you've been reporting about this on your personal social media platforms. Can you maybe just give us a, a sense of like, how did we get here? And and was this situation inevitable or could this have been prevented with better planning? Uh, it absolutely could have been prevented. And and uh, this is why it's, part of the problem is we don't know what public, I worked for Public Health Ontario. We, we, we don't know what Public Health Ontario was advising the government. All our, our scientists are there. They're making recommendations to the chief medical officer of health and then it's up to the, to him to take it to the premier. He can say no or yes to PHO's advice, right? We don't know what happened there, right? We don't know what their advice was. They're not allowed to speak. We haven't heard from them. Um, and I worked for all those leaders. They, they were supposed to be up front every day uh, doing those briefings. So I, it wasn't supposed to be the premier. Uh, it wasn't really even supposed to be the CMOH. It was supposed to be, was supposed to be uh, the head of microbiology, Dr. Allen, and and uh, and the next science person, which today would be Dr. Deeks. So we they have not been in leading and you can tell that they that their advice has not been followed or else they would be out front talking because they're excellent communicators so we haven't seen them so it, that tells you right there and i know because I, I was there the signal we tried to send the public when the government didn't take our advice which happened during ebola uh, mr hoskins said no to pto's advice which put us in a horrible position uh, and the leadership decided Instead of going public with it, they had a whole internal debate. Instead of going public with it, we'll try to send a signal that we don't agree by not showing up. So we didn't show up. We were absent. We weren't on any depressors or, or anything. We did that on purpose. And no one picked up our signal. <laughs> so, so, you know, so that's one thing I would, I would say that the fact you haven't seen them, they're probably trying to send a signal that way. That's very interesting. Yes. <laughs> yeah. And I'm just thinking of it, we all know who the doctor at the federal level is. I, I think many of us know who the doctor at toronto level is who the yeah. public health we don't know ontario's i don't know yeah and i'm someone who does follow the news fairly closely <laughs> yeah you know i train and i i helped train them i helped train she was supposed to be she was dr don lowe's apprentice so don don lowe chose her to be that role um and and the province and, the, and at the time the province was well not hoskins but at the time the minister before hoskins was all for that that was the plan um and uh she was gonna be up front and center you would have seen her every single day, just like Dr. Don Lowe, as a microbiologist telling about talk, telling us about the science and the, and the infectiousness and what they're learning about the virus. We should be hearing that every day. And we, we didn't get that. So, uh, you know, the CMOH is just uh, he's not an expert in all those things. So he's not the best person to talk about it. And that's why he's making lots of mistakes. Um, and plus, he's obviously not absorbing the information he's getting from Dr. Allen. That's obvious. That he's just going off on his own. So, I mean, on, on that note, last week we had Thanksgiving, and I wanted our listeners to kind of rewind it in their memories. The week before Thanksgiving, we had the throne speech from the federal government, and then the prime minister took to the national airwaves to basically send a message to Canadians this Thanksgiving. It's not the traditional get together with friends and family method. We need to get this under wraps. Yeah. The next day, Premier Ford comes on and says, no, no, as long as you stay within your 10 person bubble, it'll be good. <laughs> and then yeah. the week leading up to thanksgiving the toronto public health official comes out and says no whoever's in your house that's who you're spending thanksgiving with and then it was only not until the 11th hour that dr williams comes out and the premier ford comes out and says yeah you know what just stay within your house <laughs> and i'm wondering like, what does this tell you with this conflicting back and forth the various levels of government giving this kind of back and forth advice 
A, what 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 does this do for the public in terms of be- public behavior in this pandemic? And two, what's your analysis of that in terms of what might be going on behind the scenes? I, it's it's devastating for 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 public behavior and pandemic response because because we we've we've heard. I mean, some people people are only listening. People aren't listening to all of it, so they're only hearing slices. You know, people are not listening to the news all the time. They're hearing little snippets. So some people would have heard one message. Some people would have heard the other message, and nothing of the other stuff. Other people have heard all three. You know, so but a lot of people are only going to hear little snippets. So it's it's just devastating for public compliance. Um, and 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 this is and the worst part is this is a public that wants to be compliant. Like you know, compared compared to the United States, we have a high compliance level. They want to be compliant, but they don't know how because they keep getting different. They keep hearing different things. So it it, it that's the worst part of it is we're squandering a compliant willing public right mm-hmm. that's willing to work with us so <laughs> that's a, an important point because i guess if you look at the countries who've done best so far it, it is those like you say those kind of nations with a tradition of kind of social compliance and cohesion so yeah I'm thinking asian nations some of the european nations yeah scandinavia i mean yeah i know sweden took its own route but that's so important and we, we have that in canada that's one of the things canada's good at and we kind of did okay in the first go through of this uh, yeah absolutely people were okay with it people were i mean yeah there were huge don't get me, i mean there were huge problems with mental illness and huge struggles don't get me wrong but but overall people were were happy to do it and people people were contented there no one was rushing no one was saying we got to get back i didn't really hear that from my friends or or who have who have children of their own i didn't hear them saying dying to get back or oh they, they were they kind of settled into a routine and um, they adapted. People adapted. I mean, it was that's one of the things in our pandemic planning we didn't expect. No one expected that. That was not. We expected the public to be very resistant. They weren't. They were you know, largely pretty compliant. So, how did we squander that? You know, with with the mixed messaging and and it's it's costing. It's going to cost lives. So I, but Dr. Davila, one thing I was going to say about Dr. Davila. Um, the thing that's going on, there is something going on behind the scenes in terms of the power dynamics because uh, Dr. Davila is wrestling. You've got to remember she's in a difficult position because she's wrestling with a mayor um, who also likes to be out front. So she, who is also, who's also measuring his response against Doug Ford. He doesn't want to spark him off. So there's this, there's this play going on. And meanwhile, Dr. Davila is trying to assert her authority, her box, her authority as medical officer. So she's got these two forces to work in. So that's why you also have this. So she's always trying to calculate how far do I push this in terms of, of my independence uh, in saying a different message? How far should I go? She's always, she always has to make that calculation. And and so it's, it's a horrible position to put, to put, uh, to put public health officials in. Well, Roland and I were kind of talking about this off- offline is it seems that the premier wanted to delegate the responsibility down to the public health units. Um, I remember, you know, we want, we want to op- open up stage two region by region, depending on numbers and all that. Okay. So be it. Um, but then I found, I find it shocking that like the Toronto public health unit comes out and says, we think you need to stay like Thanksgiving, just the, those in your, under your roof. That's it. Yeah. You know, fight the urge to go and visit friends and family. To which the premier kind of and the and uh, Dr. Williams kind of gave a bit of a pushback, like you know, let's not let's not panic here. And I thought, yeah, you know, if, if you're going to delegate that authority down to your public health units, when the public health unit comes back and says we think this has to happen, you know, if the public health unit says we think restaurants need to close, 
or we think uh, uh, yeah. social needs to be ramped up, why wouldn't the premier step up and say, you know what, I got your back. You know, I, I'm with yeah. you. Because I don't think he was ever, I don't think he was ever interested in 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 um, empowering the public health use. I think that was just a line. I, if you look at it, I think it was about centralized centralized control straight to the political level. Um, I don't think he ever wanted, yeah, if he ever intended them to make them uh, independent, powerful, um, lo- local autonomous uh, organizations. The, the planning with, I think, the impetus behind the restructuring, the public health restructuring, was to centralize it under a political under a political straight up to the top to the, to the political organ i think that that was my understanding and but they sold it as something else so i i don't think that that was ever really there i mean if you notice if you notice they've been pretty uh, you know they haven't you haven't seen um medical officers of health really stepping out to against the government to doing using their powers which they do have some powers some independent powers and using those powers they haven't been doing that so i think something is preventing them from doing that um so i i don't think that i don't think the premier was was ever you know this this thing about local empowering local communities. I, I never really bought that. I think they wanted they wanted control over the public health units, and this goes into a whole another whole another story. But I think if you were to look at it, it would it goes back to developers and the issues that they were having with medical officers of health. So they wanted to they wanted to whittle down their power a bit. Um, I think that's what Doug Ford was actually intending, and it, we're seeing some some impacts of that now. But that's a whole another story. <laughs> but, yeah. Now, obviously. From Doug Ford's point of view, you, you put yourself in his shoes. However awful the tragedy of COVID is, this has been Christmas for him because here's a man who's who was deeply unpopular in the polls, who's basically turned his entire government, uh, public perception of his government around through this. Yep. It's kind of a leading question, really. But do you, do you think that's kind of behind why he's so keen to have himself front and center? Yes, absolutely. They, they've seen their they've seen the results. I mean, this this is a government. I mean, these are these are uh, a lot of their people are Harper conservatives. They come from that tradition of of keep keep the media away. Uh, don't you know controlled controlled interactions with media as much as possible because you don't you don't want to cause cause issues. Of uh, to going completely the other way um, into uh, a controlled thirty minutes where you know every reporter gets a couple of questions but they don't know they don't really know what questions are coming so that's a that's a totally new framework for them right they're they're doing it because they've they've seen they've seen the results when and you know it makes sense when you see a guy who most of us you know most Ontarians had no confidence and no faith in before it was about 80% at one point it was just he lost the entire province to switch that fast it's because we've been he's been staring at us eye to eye face to face for 30 minutes every single day hey folks you know it so there's going to be some goodwill that comes out of that um and seeing the premier answer questions even when he does it terribly and even when it, people aren't seeing i don't think people are catching the mistakes there was a great clip on canada land last week it was jonathan goldsby who's one of their journalists yeah. and he just read verbatim an answer from from doug ford about what to do for thanksgiving <laughs> And it just went on and on and on. It was so, for some reason, when it, when it, you know, politicians are very good at saying nothing with a lot of words, I guess. <laughs> and when you heard it, it was so obviously garbage, yeah. so obviously self-contradictory in about five different places. Yeah. Um, and it's like this, this, but this is what people like. It's like, yeah. because he's, 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 yeah. I've been calling him Uncle Fluffy all of that, you know, because old bad Doug is gone and we've got this, oh, well, I don't guys, you know, I can't understand why the doctors aren't. Yes. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah, I call him Uncle Power, but yeah. Yeah. It's it's do you, do you think people are not seeing that? People are just not picking up the Well, I, I have kids in the in the school system, so I'm in with like a bunch of parent Facebook groups on just dealing with education matters. This is like the number one concern for every parent, whether you're in JK or you're in grade twelve, it's the number one concern, understandably. And everyone can't get their head around the contradiction between I can fill a classroom with 25 people, I can put in my kid's teacher, yet I can't, I can't get together with my family for a get-together or a dinner uh, in my own house, but I can send my yeah. kid there. And then the, also the question is, you know, the, the social bubble, a 10-person, pick your 10 people and that's your social bubble. Well, I, I don't know my kid's classmates families that well but they're now my social right. bubble yeah yeah and it's just, yeah, and people, yeah. It's just like you have all these questions popping up and that people are trying to make sense of it and none of it yeah. adds up in the end and it's it's frustrating because i think people like you said mike people want to comply they they want to yeah to keep each other safe but yeah we don't we just don't know how like we're not scientists we're not medical doctors we're not yeah. epidemiologists yeah. so we're trusting yeah. our leaders to tell us don't go here. You can go here. Don't do this. You can do this. Yeah, exactly. We're we're very willing to be led on this. We want to be led on this. I don't think that I, I think people don't understand that. You know, it's and especially for your parents. I have you know almost all my friends have are, have small kids right now, and and they sound exactly like you. They just they just want to know what it how is this supposed to work? Why and and they don't, and they're confused all the time. And and when you're talking about the safety of your children, I mean it's it's. it's and in the safety of teachers, it's just it's just unbelievable. I, I, I want to. I mean, I, one of the things that we've touched upon in this podcast, um, and this is a, a shameless plug for listeners to go back into the back episodes, but we, we've talked to a number of entrepreneurs about how they're coping with this. And entrepreneurs are very, um, by their nature, innovative and uh, and ad- adaptive to new challenges. And I get the feeling that we squandered the summer uh, in the in the sense that we. We yes. were, we had we had the stage two, then stage three, like the week later, and restaurants and small business were like, okay, we can salvage some business. We can have some people come in. I know, and, I know, and, and, and I'm I'm all for that. But also, yeah. kind of knew that the second stage, the second wave was coming. Yeah, and I wonder, like, should the message from our leader should have been, enjoy the summer, get out to the parks, go for walks, enjoy the great weather. Go visit, go have a drink on a patio, go order takeout, enjoy the summer while we can. Businesses, prepare for a second wave. Put money away, start plant changing your business model, start buying equipment if you need it. Yeah. Whatever it is yeah. that you're doing, start coming up with a new new uh, new way. Because all of a sudden now people are like, well, we, we don't know what to do. Tell us what to do. And Doug's yeah. stand, like, you know, standing at the microphone saying, I, I feel for you. Yeah, I know, I know, I know. I, I, and uh, yeah, I, I didn't understand. And do, do you remember the beginning of the summer? I was looking back at some of the old, I've been watching the the old press conferences from like June, June, July. He was triumphant up there. You know, he was basically saying, do, do you remember that? His tone was like very, 
very like we very victorious right and uh it, it didn't make any sense it was as if there was a second wave was never going to come right so then i thought oh my god they, they they're planning for that this is over that's even though he was saying it wasn't over that's how he sounded and then i uh, and then you know august he started to talk about more about the second wave acknowledging the second wave was coming it's like well the second wave doesn't have to come you know, we we have we can sit here right now because all summer. I mean, that's. I mean, if you listen to the scientists explain it, it, it this is a this is a virus that revs up. It takes a, it takes a couple months to rev up. Like the southern states, they would they're reopen. Two three months later, boom! Right, it takes it takes two to three months to rev up, and it's just from asymptomatic spreading to each other. So all summer. All summer, the virus was spreading, and we didn't. We just didn't see it. We didn't feel it because they were asymptomatic. But it was. It needs that to build up that critical mass. So we were building this fire all summer, and and so, so it was almost inevitable. By by September, there was nothing we could really do to stop it. Um, but at least we can try to bring the peak down. We're not even doing that. So, it, and, and we're used to the the. When I thought of a second wave, I I, I was thinking of uh, you know how, how influenza operates and that there's new strains and things like that. This isn't a new strain. This is the first strain that we just let get out of the bag. Again, yes, that yes. we that we brought under a level of control and then said, okay, let's just let it go anyway. Um, and that's the infuriating thing. And that just you know. Um, I was going to ask you about the sort of wider picture of I don't know if you've been following this uh, the Great Barrington Declaration, which which seriously that's the name they gave it. Uh, I don't know if you followed that at all, but a, a bunch of right wing, very wealthy people uh, basically saying just just let it go because it would do less harm to the economy that way. Well, oh. We we. You know what? What what is what can do more harm to the economy than having got the thing under control? Let it go again, and and just be. It's like we're almost torturing ourselves by spreading this thing out for as long as we possibly can. Absolutely. When we could be working, you know. I mean, there are some industries which you 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 truly just sort of cry for because it's like I just don't know how you can fix rest the restaurant industry or the entertainment industry or the airline you know. industry yeah uh yeah it's like i yeah sure that's i i it's horrible i don't know what we can do yeah. f- for you other than just bail people out or whatever but yeah. in most other ways there's we can be working around it we can be finding ways um and just by giving people this false hope yeah basically, yes. basically messaging for for a good month or two that we've beaten this thing yeah um We've really shot ourselves in the foot. Absolutely, absolutely, and, and plus the um, the lower one of the communication failures I I, I felt anyway was uh, the reporting of the new cases during the summer um, because we we kept we were getting uh, for about a month uh, about a month and a half we were being fed lockdown data so it, we were because because of the lag there's there's this lag after we reopened of we're still getting lockdown data. Right, because of the lag between infection and symptoms, and so we were looking at lockdown data. So, oh, isn't this great? You know, and it wasn't current data, and people kept thinking that you know, people still don't quite understand that the new the new case number we get is not infections that happened today; they're infections that happened two to three weeks ago, right? And and I still don't think the public quite understands that. Like, I think every time they they report the new case data, they should say this is two to three weeks ago. You know, this is not infections that happened today. Well, on that note, I mean, the I'm going to say uh, as of recording this podcast, and I might be my number might be out of date here, but we have 783 new cases daily average yeah. Um, yeah. reported uh, 
for COVID-19. Um, and then, you know, today uh, the premier stood in front of the microphones to announce that uh, today York region uh, is going into stage two because their numbers, you know, they have, they didn't get their numbers under control. And then he's come in and he's warning us here in Halton, we got to get our, our, our act together because he doesn't want to have to send us into stage two as well. Right. And this yeah. tone of kind of like, you know, I, I talked to Roland about this, this tone of, um, you know, dad on vacation, right? If you kids don't get your act together, I'm turning this car around. I don't care how close we are, <laughs> are to the yeah, destination. Yeah. 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 The, the, it's, is this helpful to us? Because I'm, I'm thinking, yeah, we get our act together now. The numbers are still climbing because, yeah, as you said, these numbers are two weeks are from two weeks ago. We're, we're, yeah. we're the numbers are behind the ball. They're not real time data. No, no, no. This is these are these are events that happened two to three weeks ago, and, and plus plus people a lot of people don't even get tested when they first have symptoms. They they'll still wait another week. You know, you, you see it day by day, right? So there'd be two to three to four week lag because this virus takes a long time in your system to build up. So I, you know, I, I think people have got to got to understand that and not take the, the this victorious feeling that people had in the summer. Because and and I felt I, I was just I was just trying to scream to to news networks is like stop reporting data this way like you've got you've got to have this disclaimer out front right now the worst part is right now that the data we're getting is 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 going to be even worse even worse worse inaccurate because it's way more since they've cut down testing so it's I mean it's way way more so, so I, uh, what what what's the story behind the testing um why does this seem to be pretty problematic um uh that we can't get this right well i you know i'm i'm a i'm a biased i'm very very loyal to dr allen and i works closely for her um and i have deep feel deep affection for her and, and i feel pain for what she's been going through um i cannot imagine in a million gazillion years that this is dr allen that this is public health ontario's um faults or, or her faults or or um they they we so much money was invested in this new lab um that we have on university avenue um uh, the mars the mars project i mean that it was considered the best in the world in terms of for preparing for the pandemic um people from around the world came to visit that lab uh so we were we were ready that was that was that was the set so we were ready something happened um since then so uh I think, and we've we've got little dribs and drabs have come out as uh, as public because there was an exodus of public health Ontario, our top experts, where they decided it was a great time for to kick them out. So they they kicked out quite quite a few of them just before uh, pandemic hit, and that's a whole another story. There was yeah. a political story behind that, um, but with political interference. But uh, so something there was and there, little dribs and drabs came out from those leaders uh, who talked to the media they told us a little bit about what happened so we definitely know that there were cuts happening um that they were losing resources uh that the that the processes that they had in place were starting to get mangled because of things that were coming from the political level so um uh, because of cutbacks efficiencies so i i think when the public inquiry happens whenever that is um uh, it's going to drill down to. I think you're going to see major. I think there's going to be a lot of blame for the political level um, of the Ford government, probably, and a little bit from Eric Hoskins before as well, probably. How, how can we switch from this reactive game into a proactive stance? How can we get ahead of this to give 
the people the the tools and the information that they need to empower their lives to make the adjustments so that we can start cur- we can start making this curve and start flattening the curve um to coin it, to borrow a phrase uh you know what what needs to happen to get get ahead of this I, I think we've got to be really honest with people about the virus uh, and, and, and how it works. And we've got, to, we've, got to, we've got to incorporate that into our planning that this is a virus that you can't control uh, and that we still – that we know a lot about – we know a lot more about it now than we did even you know, two or three months ago. But uh, in certain – in indoor situations, we cannot with any certainty say uh, that someone uh, – that you can – that you can shield yourself off from the virus within in an indoor setting. Right now, I think we have to be far stricter in terms of in terms of our our, our protocols and distancing. That you know what, in an indoor situation, when you when you've got um, people outside your bubble, there's no guarantee that vi- there's no guarantee that you can contain this virus. And so we have to we have to somehow incorporate that into our into our messages and, and into our planning. And um and but we can't really do that until until we have a uh, one voice, one or two voices at, at at the provincial level who can speak with authority and integrity on the drill down to those and give us those those strong messages. And we don't have that. It's impossible when you've got a premier who who um, is who hogs the stage every day and is going all over all over the place like this. So so even if the chief medical officer of health was more um, was more. I'm being very charitable. Was more. Was more effective at his job. <laughs> I have other words for it. But um, was was better at his job than he is. Was a better communicator. Um, even if he was, even if we had the best communicator, even if Dr. Allen was doing all, she's an excellent communicator. She, even we have Dr. Allen, and so is Dr. Deeks. So we had them doing their roles up there and communicating really effectively. Uh, they would still have to battle. They would still be second. They play still play uh, play second fiddle. To the premier who's doing this every day, right? He's always throwing yeah. the board up, and that. So I guess we saw that. Yeah, I guess we saw that in the states where where people seem to have a fairly high opinion of of Dr. Fauci. Yeah, but, but there's only so much he can do when he's having to stand next to the orange yeah. buffoon. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, he's just we're really independent, and unbiased podcast. Yeah, and well, well, no, but it's true though. I mean, it's true though. I mean, I mean, it's it's, it's no different, really. I mean, that and Dr. Williams on when Dr. Williams had a good day, he's had one or two good days, sort of. Um, when he wasn't, I'm sure he had a good day. I remember him having a good day one day when he wasn't terrible, and and uh, literally an hour later, the premier does his presser, you know, and 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 was totally inconsistent. Right and blew off his message, and everyone pays attention to what the premier said over the CMOH. So even if we had a good CMOH, you know, you've got a premier there who also does not want to leave the stage because of his poll numbers. Right, he sees the results. Um, that's that's we're kind of in a we're we're in an impossible situation now where we can't get the premier off the stage because he doesn't want to get off the stage. We so really, I mean, I think the public and. I, so I've kind of given up on that, and I've been trying to I've been trying to say to friends and to family and and, and um, uh, that you know what, don't listen, just just tune out the province, just tune them out, forget that they exist. Just listen to Doctor Davila, just listen to your local medical officer of health, um, just listen to Doctor Tam, and listen to the experts on television um, who are excellent. You know, Doctor Bogok, and um, it's it's a and, and I, you know it's a hard. I, I wish I kind of wish medical officer of, medical officers of health would would come together. Uh, with this with a strong message and say you know what guys we're taking over <laughs> thanks province thanks a lot but we're we're gonna we're gonna take over how did we get to this situation where where 
people who work for the government feel that they can't speak, that they can't contradict. Uh, the, if, if they're doctors and the premier is saying something wrong, why the hell can't they say that's wrong? He shouldn't be saying that. Yeah. It, it seems I, natural to me. Well, at the local level, they should. I, there is nothing, there is nothing um, technically that uh, that would that should interfere with local medical officers how saying the premier was wrong, and, and and some will do that. A few will do that, but not nearly enough. Um, they're they're usually a strong group, so I, I've been kind of surprised that they haven't been louder, um, because they, they are usually the opposition, but are um, willing to speak out. But the problem is, you know, we have a public health agency provincially, and they they act as servants of the government. We had this happen. I mean, that's why I was pushed out because uh, there was a conflict. Hoskins. Didn't like didn't uh, didn't like the fact that I wouldn't PR for him uh, because I said I'm public health I'm not I'm not your I'm not going to do cleanup for you with with reporters that's your job and and then you know very soon I was out of a job so there there was political interference started happening even under the liberals I mean, even under the wind government it was happening um, that, that political interference um, it, after SARS there was this period where they allowed public health to kind of build independently and to build into this robust strong organization and then Eric Hoskins came in and it started we almost got complacent I think um, and the public started forgetting about SARS and then public health uh, political affairs started going going up and the and the independents started going down and that's when Dr. Lowe left Dr. Lowe left people don't know that but um, uh, you know Maureen confirmed that on Twitter to me the other day I mean Dr. Lowe left public left public health and terror because of political interference um, he had had enough because uh, he insisted on going out there and saying uh, what the truth was, regardless of whether the minister agreed or regardless of whether uh, it was consistent with the premier of the day. Um, and that's and Dr. Finally, uh, uh, Dr. Dr. Uh, sorry, what's his first name? Dr. Uh, Don, Don Lowe. Dr. Don Lowe from SARS, remember? Oh, right. So I didn't live in yeah. Canada at that time. So you're, I oh, have. Sorry. Uh, yeah. <laughs> sorry. Yeah. Yeah. Sorry. I, I came uh, over in 2003. So it was, it was a sort of a, the new era, okay. I guess. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You, you would have just missed it. Yeah. But Dr. Dr. Lowe was one of the front facing voices. Um, and uh, he became, you know, pretty much everyone knew his face with Dr. Brasseur. Um, and, uh, you know, his, his philosophy, which is what I was reared in at public health, I was, I was on his. I was on that side of the equation in the public health world was you, you tell the truth and you, you tell, you speak honestly to the public and you, you stick to the science, regardless of what the political higher ups say. Um, and so that, that was the idea that was, that was the kind of public health that was being built after SARS. And then people kind of started forgetting that SARS happened and that it will down and politicians felt that they could, they could stretch their muscle a bit. And that started happening. We started getting pushed back from the political level. So I got pushed out. Then doctors started getting pushed out um, because we refused to, we, we held the line. We were like, no, I'm not, you know, I said no to the minister of health on something. And, and other doctors started saying no, and we, we all started getting pushed out. And so now um, it became, now today we have a compliant Public health agency that uh, that works for that works for the premier that that works for the premier and not for the public, um, and that's not what was intended. What's the way forward to get to get us out of this to get us back on 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 sound footing on, in terms of this pandemic? I'm kind of dour on this. Um, I, I don't see this going very well. I, I think I think we're going to have a fairly calamitous fall. Um, and I'm not sure. I'm not sure there's there's a lot that can be done to stop that right now. Not at least not with the leadership in the position that they're in. I, I think we're going to have like today. We're going to have it's just going to be reactive, reactive, reactive. So it's going to be, you know, Doug closing one region at a time. I'm, I'm in Durham region. Um, you know, our numbers are going up. 
Um, so he's so so we're all asking the question: How long? How many? How many cases is enough before they take control? I think we're going to continue along that path, and nothing is going to change um, unless the public gets really angry. And I, I don't know what is going to spark that. Whether that's going to be deaths and mass illness or well, what? Uh, I mean, our long-term care homes, uh, despite the fact that they were petri dishes for this disease back in the springtime, seem to nothing seems to have changed. Uh, over the course of the summer, we're and we're right back where we're seeing uh, more outbreaks, and thankfully, right now, knock on wood, no deaths, not not a huge number of deaths, but I, I think yeah, that's only a matter of time. Well, you know, the other thing too is I, I wonder. I think when it starts hitting, I think when it's as we go into second wave and it starts building in intensity, you know, my my dad, my dad, uh, you know, has has cancer, and so. My biggest terror, our biggest terror every day is if something happens, because it's inoperable. If something happens, um, is he going to have access to the care? So I think as families like my family faces things like that, um, it's, it's got to settle into Taryn's minds that, that this that this is something's got to change here. Because, you know, every decision that, that they're making is impacting our situation. Is, oh, God, you know, are we going to have the houses and capacity means the world to us, right? So um, we can't be the only family that's experiencing that, right? Um, and, and I mean, I guess actually, Joel just sort of touched upon this point. If you if you look at the graphs at the kind of very simple level that someone like <laughs> I do, you're seeing the numbers go up much higher than they were, and the death num the numbers of actual deaths have not followed yet. Do you think there's a reason for that? And um, again, none of us are actual medical doctors ourselves, but no. but what do you think that is? And do you think that's coloring people's behavior at all? That they're just not taking it as seriously anymore perhaps yeah i think so um the other thing though if you talk to you know i hear from nurses and doctor and er doctors a lot um they they, they dm me and, and send me little bits of uh just little reports of what what's happening um that they that they don't feel they can they can tweet out themselves so I'll, I'll try to tweet for them and if you listen to them on 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 the news networks um the VR ER docs are are, are are saying something is happening you know they're, they're already getting hit and and um they're expecting something quite bad so and every day it's getting worse i mean they i they tell there quite a few of them have told me that um a, mis, a misleading impression is out there right now but the situation in hospitals that it's actually it's actually getting bad and more bad every day. More people are getting sick. More, um, we, you know, we do have people dying. Um, so there's suffering happening that we're not seeing that hasn't been fully, that hasn't really been reported out yet. Um, so at least that's what they're saying. They're saying it's much worse than it's much worse than we're hearing. Um, so I, I think in terms of in terms of you know in terms of deaths, I, I think uh, what is that what it'll take? I, I don't know. I don't know. Um, I'm still kind of I'm still kind of stunned that after the long-term care crisis that that didn't seem to I thought that that would resonate with us for a longer period of time and it, so I'm still kind of shocked that that didn't that we're already right. forgotten that. <laughs> so it, it, oh, it's amazing what what we can what we can forget yeah. about. And, yeah, yeah, really. I mean, I mean, as someone who hasn't lived in Canada my whole life, uh, only since I was well, 33 or something. Of all the things that's that's happened that I think is shameful in this country, that uh, uh, very few things. Canada has very few, <laughs> comparatively few things to be to be ashamed of. But boy, is that a big one! And we should oh. not be forgetting about that at all. No. That, that we no. uh, seniors were 
you know, left abandoned to uh, uh, in in ways like they were, and just absolutely disgraceful. Uh, yeah. In, in, yeah, treated like animals, and these are these are you know the the yeah. it, it, it beggars description. It really yeah. does. Yeah, Orchard Orchard Villa Orchard Villa is just down the road, and, and you know to think that it, it sounds like I mean as they're they're investigating, but it, it almost sounds like murder. What was happening there? You know, and this was just this was just down the you know not far from us, and it's so that so many people died in, and, in and a horrific way. And I, I don't think I mean because I mean I have I I have a couple of people who I who I've had some communication with who who had family members working in long term care at, in the early days and they were usually working you know these were people working on minimum wages with with no job security yeah. and uh, certainly in one case someone um, just quit rather than deal with that and it's like i don't blame that person for quitting no. because they were in they had no mass they had nothing yeah yeah and they were expected to deal with this situation and uh but those people won't speak uh yet uh and certainly you know the 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 people who operate these places are definitely not going to speak so there's, there's a real difficulty i think um for journalists to really get into this subject and it's the, a t- full- yeah it's it's a tricky one. My my dad was uh, Ministry of Health Comms and, and for many years, and he's he under every government, uh, different parties. And his his first rea- his first reaction was, "Whoa, wait a minute, guys! Like, don't don't sit there." Because a lot of people were saying, "Oh my God!" and shocked and horrified. And he said, "Oh, come on!" Because he he was uh, his reporters called. He said reporters called the ministry all the time, working on these stories, and that they were, they, okay. they were reported all these years. Uh, he said that it was in the media, but it was always kind of in the back section. It was it didn't get the a lot of the attention we just didn't we didn't care basically that's what he said we didn't care i'm gonna say we have to leave it at that because we're coming up on our our time limit but uh mike i want to thank you for coming on it's been a great chat and it's gonna be uh yeah and this is i think there's definitely a story that's not going away anytime soon uh so we will uh we'll try and stay on top of it and hopefully the uh our numbers change uh as we head into the winter absolutely yeah absolutely thank you and keep safe thank you I'd like to thank Mike Gibbs for coming on this week to the 905er. Uh, as always, we could have gone on for hours with that uh, discussion. Uh, but going forward, uh, we're going to have a bit of a change in format uh, for the podcast. Instead of one episode a week, we are now going to be bringing you two episodes a week. Uh, the first episode will be our interview with our guest, as always. But we're going to save our editorial and other news section for a second episode, which will be released every Thursday from now on. Uh, You can always like and subscribe to us on whatever podcast uh, service you are currently using. And please remember to like, share, and follow us on social media. We are the underscore 905er on LinkedIn, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. As always, you can send your critiques, comments, suggestions uh, to us at email info at 905er.ca. Thank you very much, folks, and we'll see you on Thursday.
Hi, this is Candace Sampson, the voice behind What She Said. My show is your destination for stories that not only entertain, but also educate and empower. Every week, I spotlight strong female voices from across Canada, women who are changing the narrative and driving change. Don't miss out on these inspiring episodes. Subscribe on Apple, Spotify, and Amazon Music, or head over to whatshesaidtalk.com. What She Said can also be heard on blasttheradio.com, Mondays at 5 p.m. and Wednesdays at 7 p.m. That's blasttheradio.com. It's time to dive into the stories that truly matter.